Our official family history has always been that we are 100% Slovenian. So we went to the Slovenian parish of Sacred Heart. We belonged to the Slovene Center in Barberton. We sang Slovenian Christmas songs at mass and ate Slovenian sausage from Al's meat market for Christmas dinner. On Christmas Eve night, we gathered at grandma and grandpa's house and we would wait a very expensive long distance phone call from our cousins in Slovenia, Andre and Stanko, and someone would be on the heavy handset uh, listening to what was being said and relaying and translating what everybody was saying. So a few years ago, I bought a few people for Christmas, including Father Anthony, uh, one of those DNA tests for Christmas. And while I was at it, I bought one for myself. So I expectorated into the little tube, mailed it off, and didn't think too much about it. And when the results came back, I opened it up to find out that I am not 100% Slovenian, but 90% Slovenian and 10% Nordic. No one was more surprised than I was, surprised and intrigued what happened. I later found out that cousins on my father's side of the family had the exact same results, and by this concluded that it was someone on my dad's side of the family that broke with the tribe and married outside of our, our own people. Fascinating. So what was it? It leads to all kinds of speculation. Did a band of traveling Swedes pass through Eastern Europe on their way to conquer somebody, and one of them fell in love with a Slovenian and stayed behind? Or was it a Slovenian man who went off on a sailing vessel not to return home until he found fame and fortune, but instead found a Norwegian bride? Believe it or not, we found out the answer to the question. About a year after receiving the results of the DNA test, we received an email from the company in which they revealed to us that they have upgraded their tests and were now able to tell us that we were in fact 100% Slovenian. <laughs> which goes to explain why, if I was part Nordic, I have such an aversion to fish. So there you go. DNA sampling is just the latest in a long line of ways we try to understand ourselves better. Perhaps the most ancient, and I think the best way, is through stories. Some stories explain things a bit more immediately. You know, who are you specifically? For example, years ago I asked mom, why do we have so many pink bulbs for our Christmas tree? And she told this story. She says, oh, many years ago, your oldest sister got engaged and her fiance wanted to show how much she, he loved her and wanted to express that to the family. So he went out and brought an enormous Christmas tree for the family. And it was beautiful, but far larger than anything we'd ever had before. And we didn't have enough trimmings to cover the whole tree. So your father was sent out to buy some decorations. And he bought a lot of whatever was on sale, which, as it turns out, were these very numerous bland pink bulbs. A story which explains a lot more about my family than you know. Other stories explain things much more deeply, fundamentally, about our being, our identity as a people. 
They are ancient stories that survive thousands of years. They survive through the billions of other stories have disappeared. Even stories that were once integral to our society once have been set aside because these stories took their place as better. For example, as the pagan myths gave away to Christianity. Even up against science, our heart tells us that there's something true about these stories that science doesn't tell us because it's not designed to do it. So every year about this time, we go up in the attic and we bring a box down marked Christmas and bring out the 2000 year old story about the nativity of Jesus Christ. And there is so much going on here, so much information that we can tell it every year and not exhaust the meaning or the truth of it. Unlike a fable that has a moral, you know, once you've heard it, once you've heard it for life. That's why it ends with, and the moral of the story is, that's all it's designed to say. It's designed that way. But it's not the case with the story of the nativity because it tells us so much more about God and it tells us about us. And because we are extremely complicated beings, the story is thick with meaning. Here are some things that I bet would ring true to you. If you don't choose what is most important in life, there are plenty of others who will tell you what it should be. So there is Mary and Joseph, newly married, starting a family. Joseph has his work. Mary is starting a home. They've got this deep and mystifying faith that they're trying to work out and figure out what's going on. And those plans are all thrown into turmoil by outside forces demanding other things that although it kind of messes everything up, it has to be done. It's time for the census. The time of travel hits at the same time that she's, Mary's coming to the end of her pregnancy. Busy travel days, a crowded city, poor accommodations. There's a recipe for nagging and frustration and disappointment and resentment. Part, avoid, part of avoiding that trap is figuring out what has priority and what has meaning. Joseph decides that he is not, first of all, a citizen. He is not, first of all, a number. He's not, first of all, a consumer. He is first and foremost a sovereign man, a man of freedom and of choice, responsible for his decision and his path transforming the potential before him into the world in which he chooses to live. He is a husband. Because of this, his wife is his first priority. All the things about which they must contend must serve this truth. His first priority is not fulfilling government regulations, but to tend to his wife, particularly in her present need, good times and in bad sickness and in health. Other things nonetheless need to be completed and done. There isn't much choice without some major negative consequences, but there is a significant difference in the why of them. It's like this. There's a guy locally who owns an auto dealership and he once told me that people have the wrong idea about what he does. He says, I don't sell cars. I run a business so that men who work for me can raise families. 
That focus makes all the difference as it does for Joseph. And it does with Mary. Mary's first mission in life as a free woman is to fulfill what God calls her to. When you love God first, you don't love second things less, but you love them better because you love them properly and well. And since this is the case, she is a true daughter of her heavenly father and says yes to him. She is a true wife to her husband and says, I do. I will love you all the days of my life. And she loves the one within her womb. And though each of these yeses brings her joy, they also come with hardships. Mary is the bearer of burdens, but does not let those burdens interfere with her priorities. For she always keeps before her her identity and her love. They can do this by keeping God at the center of everything. I love setting up Christmas manger scenes. And we do make a bit of fuss around here about not putting out the baby Jesus figure uh, until Christmas. And, but people keep wanting to put it in, so we have to hide them. And even in the rectory today, I, could, I can't find Jesus. Luckily, our seminarian says, I think you hid him in the bar. I said, oh, you're right. In the meantime, you will know if I set up a manger scene or not. If I'm doing it, everybody in the manger scene, including all the animals, are looking directly at the manger, right, right at the feeding trough where Jesus should be, not off staring everywhere else. It drives me nuts when people do that. Except for one dumb uh, sheep. I always like to make one dumb sheep looking the wrong way. But it's interesting to look at a manger without the Jesus figure. There's a deep, gaping hole. Something vital is missing. It's like a Catholic church without a tabernacle in it. And, and you know, we, we here work so hard to make the Eucharist, Jesus, the center of our parish. Everything that we do, we do firstly because we celebrate this first. And then we return here. And give thanks to him for everything that we have. He is our identity from whom we gain our meaning and our purpose as a parish. And so it should be with Christ in whatever way he makes himself present to you. In whatever unique way he is calling you to serve. In that special way in which you find your identity in him. This Christmas celebration story is the reset button to make sure we come back to this realization of what is important. For all the other things and obligations could disappear, and you know what? We are still going to be men and women. The government could disappear, and what would be at the center of our culture? Family. And God will always be the true source of everything that gives life and meaning to our existence who allow us to know who we truly are and what we are supposed to do.